Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. You've made the best decision you could possibly make by tuning your ear to the Word of God. I would love to invite you to stay updated with us on Facebook and YouTube. You can find us at Revival House Church. Father, bless this person and let the seed of the Word multiply 30, 60, and 100 times over in Jesus' name. And so, uh, and again, I was really, this is different. This morning, this is going to be a different type of service. This is really going to be me teaching some things out of the Word. And it's, it's really not a complicated message. This is going to be very straight to the point. I'm not going to do some clever, clever crazy illustration. Uh, this is just very simple. Um, and I asked the Lord. I wasn't sure. As I began to prepare for this, I was like, Lord, really? Are you sure? I even went out to pray last night. I was grilling some steaks, and I went out and just started praying to the Lord, talking to him. And I said, Lord, are you sure this word? And he said, yes, I'm sure. Amen. So that's what we're doing this morning. Praise God. So this, this, this message is called Upholding a Biblical Standard. Upholding a Biblical Standard. If you want to write that down, write down Upholding a Biblical Standard. So, to kind of set this up, I'm going to take a minute here. I want to say this. When you receive the heart of God, you will bless. Amen. When you receive the heart of God, you will, something will shift on the inside of you. Let me say it this way. When the Spirit of God comes on the inside of you, you're born of the Spirit, and the life of Christ, the life of God comes and dwells in you, something will change in your life where you will go around doing good like Jesus did and being a blessing. When you receive the life of Christ, you will want to give. You'll become a giver. Say Amen. Why will you become a giver? Because God's a giver. The Bible says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave. He Say he gave. So whenever you receive the life of Christ, you will become a giver. Whenever you receive the heart of God, you will love. You'll love people. You'll want to help people. You'll want to step outside of your life, your routine, and your little box, and your family, and you'll begin to put other people's needs in front of your own. You'll actually begin to go out of your way to benefit another person at absolutely zero benefit to yourself whatsoever. Can you say amen? This is actually the response of a person that receives the gospel. When the gospel is preached to you, you will respond by, be, by being generous. You will respond by loving. Everything will change because the life of God comes in you. This is what the Bible says in 1 John 4, 7 through 8. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. For love comes from God, and anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not know God... I'm sorry, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So basically, if you live in him and you have his spirit, you will love. Another verse says, 2 Corinthians 8, 2. It says, they're being tested by many troubles, and though they are very poor, but they are filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. 2 Corinthians 9, 13. As a result of your ministry, they'll give glory to God for your generosity to them. Say Generosity. To them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. Here's where I'm going with all of this. Let me say this. This is not a church for the middle class. This is not a church for the upper class. 
This is a church where people that are beat down, people that are broke, not that middle class people, upper class people can't come here, but what I'm saying is our church, this is a church where people, broken people can come. This is a church where people that have absolutely nothing can come. And you know what our response to those people should be? Say, give. Generosity, people come in that have absolutely nothing. If you have the heart of Christ and the life of Christ in you, you'll latch on to people that have nothing, people that are hungry and thirsty, and you'll give of yourself. You'll give of your money. You'll give of your resources. You'll take a microwave that belongs to you, and you'll put it in their head. Hallelujah. You'll take gas money that belongs to you, you'll put it in their head. This is a church where people can come in that have been absolutely through devastating situations that are broken, and what's our response? Say love. The natural response, if the gospel has penetrated your heart, should be love and generosity. Amen. So, as God begins to penetrate and change your life, you're going to get hungry. You're going to begin to have the same heart as Jesus Christ. You're going to see people like Jesus sees people. And if you're really on fire for the Lord, I'm telling you something. People won't be an inconvenience. You'll be looking for someone to pour into. Because the heart of God is discipleship. He didn't say go and just build big churches and get butts and seats. He said go and make disciples. Teaching them. That means coming along somebody that's beat down, that's broke down, that's in a hopeless, broken situation, and you give of yourself, you give of your life, you give the best of what you have to them, and you impart what's in you to them. You come alongside them. That's what discipleship is. So when that gets in you, that's what you're going to do. Amen. But, okay, so, again, I asked the Lord, are you sure about this? But I also want to show you the other side of the coin. Okay, look at Matthew 10, 16 through 17. Jesus said, look, I'm sending you out as sheep among the wolves. So be as shrewd as snakes and harmless as doves. But beware, for you'll be handed over to the courts and flogged and, and whipped. Uh, you will be flogged with whips in the synagogues. I want to break some of this down for you. Be as wise as serpents, another translation says. Say as wise as serpents. So this is why I'm preaching this message, because we do have people in our church, you're getting on fire for the Lord. And the, everything in you is going to want to go out to help every person, to help every situation, to give of yourself, to give of your life, to give of your time, to give of your heart. And I want to tell you, number one, you should, because that's the response to the gospel. But number two, this is the message the Lord told me to preach this morning. In doing that, we must become as wise as serpents, but as harmless as doves. What is the wise as a serpent? I, I want to tell you this as well. Uh, I was reading Finnis Dake's notes on this passage here. He said this, serpents never purposely expose themselves to attack. Say biblical standard. We should love people. We should give to people. But, I, I, and I'm going to get to a kind of a point here in a moment, but we must, the Lord put it so heavy on my heart, we must as Christians uphold a biblical standard. Wise as serpents, never uh, as harmless as doves, serpents never purposely expose themselves to 
attack. So basically what this means is you put guardrails in your life. You could put guardrails in your relationship where you carry forth the gospel, the heart of God to bless, to disciple, to pour into love, to give. But yet in doing that, you're still walking in wisdom. You're being as wise as a serpent, never purposely exposing yourself to attack. And I'll kind of get to this in a moment because what people don't understand is there's different classes of people. Let me tell you something this morning. Not everybody's sent by God into your life. And not everybody's sent by God into the church. And look at this in, in Matthew 10, 16 through 17, the same verse. I'm going to read it in the New King James. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. And think about this. This is in the, the mandate where he's literally sending them out. He says, cast out devils, heal the sick, raise the dead, preach the gospel, go to the cities, do all of that, carry forth the gospel. But while you carry forth the gospel, you need to be as wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. Being wise as a serpent is never purposely expose yourself to the attack of the devil. This is where we need to get wisdom. Guys, can I tell you, I'm going to preach a message to you this morning that I've learned the hard way again and again and again and again. And let me just uh, keep on reading here. He says, be wise as serpents, as harmless as doves. Look at verse 17. But beware of men. Say men. Beware of men. The devil will use people to try to destroy your life. When the Bible says that we're not fighting against flesh and blood, but principalities, powers, and rulers in the unseen world, a lot of Christians, that, number one, they don't understand that we're fighting a battle. You need to understand that. We are fighting a battle against an enemy. And the battle that we're not fighting is against the little shadow that lives in the attic, right, that we're up there and the shadow moved across the room and there's just like, no, the devil doesn't use attic, shadows in the attic to destroy your life. The devil uses people. Say people. That's why Jesus said you need to be as wise as a serpent. Beware of men. What was he talking about? Because the enemy, when he comes to steal, kill, and destroy your life, he'll use people to do that. So you need to properly understand this. There's three classes of people. Look at John 10, 11 through 13. When the devil comes to attack, he uses a person. Listen to this. When God wants something done, he uses people. And I wish the church would get a hold of that revelation right there. It says that we are the body, he is the head. Amen. The Bible says, can the head say to the hand, I don't need you? Say no. So if we are the body of Christ, I was listening, you know, I usually don't listen to Christian music on the radio because it's so cheesy. Half the songs that I hear, I just like roll my eyes. I'm like, look, Lord, I'm not trying to have a critical spirit, but I'm like, this is not even scriptural. Right? One of the biggest things that we sing, when you don't move the mountain, I'm asking it to move. You know that song? It's like, Lord, wouldn't did the Bible ever say God would move the mountain? Is that what he said in Mark 11? No, he said, you speak to the mountain and command it to move. Lord, I'm just asking you to move the mountain, and it's not moving. Why do you think it's not moving? Because you're not doing what he said to do. He didn't say pray about the mountain. He said stand in your authority and stand in faith, and if you have faith of God, you speak to the mountain and command it to move. Still, I'll trust in you. You know, it's just all these Christian cliche things, and I just roll my eyes. I'm like, Lord, that's not even biblical. 
And in fact, that's the only theology most Christians have. So they walk around being sick. They walk around being poor. They walk around getting their butt tore up day in and day out by the enemy because they don't have the word of God rooted on the inside of them. And they're just a victim to the circumstances of life. But I did hear a song, and it was like, if we are the body, why aren't your hands healing? You've ever heard that song? And my wife went to turn it down, and I said, hold on a second. That's actually a good song. It's true. We are the body of Christ. Listen, this is where Christians need to get out of this. Oh, because I've been a part of groups. All they want to do is pray about revival. And we think we're being real spiritual. Let's have a meeting on Tuesday night, and let's get a bunch of people in a room, and let's just pray for God to send revival. Are you understand? The way that God moves in the earth is he doesn't wave a magical wand and snap his fingers, and things just miraculously start happening. No, we are the body. Do you want to know what God's answer to revival is? If God answers that prayer for revival, what he's going to do is begin to speak to a man, speak to a woman, speak to a group of people, and give them instructions, and give them a burden, and they have to obey that instruction, and when they obey, revival will come because God moves through people. Come on, somebody. That's why we can't be silent. Oh, well, we'll just pray about everything. I understand there's a place for prayer, but I've also heard this before, that David didn't pray about Goliath. There comes a time where you have to pick up the stone and, and slay the giant. Are you all with me? Hallelujah. We don't got to pray about revival. We are revival. We are revival. If we really want to get revival in our cities, then we need to get the church awake and understand the gift that's in a fragile jar of clay, that the resurrection power is inside of you and inside of me. We need to get a hold of what we already possess in Christ and begin to go after the harvest, go after the lost, and obey the mandate of the gospel at all costs. Are you all with me? If every Christian would go after the lost with everything in them and make it their sole purpose to win the lost, I'm telling you, we would see revival in Angelina County. Because you wouldn't be a teacher for Jesus or a lawyer for Jesus or a doctor for Jesus, that my job is just to, to be a lawyer, to be a doctor, to be in the medical industry. That's great that that's the occupation God called you to, but there is only one mandate in the Scripture. Go forth into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Hallelujah. Say, I'm a preacher. My purpose, say, my purpose is preaching the gospel. What is God's will for you? Get a hold of the message of the gospel and spread it and share it. Man, I love Miss Karen. You are awesome. You've been here only a few weeks, and you're bringing people with you all the time because the fire of God's gotten on the inside of you. And just like the prophet said in the Old Testament, that it's a fire that's in your bones. He said, I must speak. I must prophesy because it's on the inside of me. I can't be quiet. I can't shut up. I can't contain it. What is going on with Christians where we think that we're in a safe place when we're disobeying the mandate of the Scripture? And we think just because our butt's in a seat that we've fulfilled a Christian duty. No, go and preach the gospel. And these signs will accompany those that believe they'll cast out demons. They'll lay their hands on the sick. They'll speak in new languages. They'll tread on serpents and scorpions. They drink anything poisonous. It shall by no means harm them. You shall receive power. Say power. When the Holy Ghost comes on you, and you shall be my witness telling people about me everywhere. Guys, there's only one thing the Lord anoints, and it's a witness of Jesus Christ. 
The Lord doesn't have a, a doctor anointing and a lawyer anointing. He has a witness anointing. Come on, somebody. Man, y'all aren't being very stirred up this morning. Am I preaching to Christians in here? Am I at an outreach in, in, a, in an inner city with a bunch of people that have never heard the word of God? Or am I preaching to people that got the spirit of the Lord on the inside of them? Thank you for the three amens. But there are three classes of people. He said, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for sheep. Write that down. Three classes of people. You got sheep. What are sheep? They're the Lord's people. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. Number two, second class of people, wolf. Listen to me. Not everyone's a sheep. Some people are wolves. Say people. Be as wise as a serpent, as harmless as a, as a dove. Verse 17, beware of men. Why must you beware of men? Because not every person is a sheep. There are people that are wolves. Say wolves. And the church has got to rise up in boldness, and we've got to stop being so accommodating to not offending anybody with this cancel culture. You need to be able to call a sheep a sheep, a wolf a wolf. Come on, somebody. Where's the boldness in this hour? Where's the David's? that looked at the Philistine and said, you uncircumcised Philistine, today I'll feed your carcass to the birds. Where's that spirit that's on the inside? It needs to rise up in our generation. Come on, somebody. Most pastors, most ministers and churches, they stay silent when it comes to politics. They stay silent to the, they turn a blind eye to the things that are happening in the world. Well, it's not really our place to judge. You're a backslidden little weenie. What are you talking about? It is the church's job to be the salt, of the, uh, the salt of the earth, the light of the world. He said, what you bind on earth, I'll bind in heaven. What you loose on earth, I'll loose in heaven. The ecclesia, the word for church in the New Testament is the word ecclesia. It means government. It means government. You know who the government is? It's not the people sitting in the White House. It's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, we got a problem with government, but it ain't the White House government. It's the church government. Why? Because we've watered it down, and we're afraid to call a wolf a wolf and a sheep a sheep, and we're afraid that we offend anybody. That's why there's no power in America. Not everywhere. There is. But I'm saying the majority, this is the problem. Trying to be friends with the world when Jesus said, they hated me. Are you greater than your master? You think that if they hated me that they'll love you, they'll hate you because they hated me first. Come on, somebody. Lord, I'll preach to that wall if I have to. So there's sheep. There's wolves. And here's something interesting. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. I don't care if it makes me the worst person in Angelina County in the United States. If I was not a pastor and my pastor shut his church down during COVID, I would leave that church because by doing so, you just publicly showed everybody that you're not a shepherd of the Lord, you're a hired hand. Because the way you can tell the difference between a, a, a shepherd is a shepherd bats off, he beats down the wolves with, with the rod, but a hired hand flees when he sees the wolves coming. A shepherd sees an agenda against the people of God to steal, to kill, to destroy, and they fight, and they stand, and they lay themselves down. What a pastor that? well, what if I have to go to jail? Are you not willing to go to jail for your church? You're not willing to go to jail for three days? 
for a small offense. You have no one in your church that would pay a couple hundred dollars and bail your sorry butt out. Come on. Well, if I go to jail, the people, that won't really look too good. Why do you care how it looks? Paul said, if I wanted to be pleasing to people, I'd not be a servant of Christ. It's great when people are pleased with you, but that's not the thing that matters. doesn't matter if people are pleased with you. If they are, great, hallelujah, but let them be pleased with you because you're a beacon of truth and light. Not because you're accommodating to sin in the spirit of this world. It says a hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. If he ran, I'm telling you, he ain't your shepherd. And so the wolves attack them and scatters the flock. Y'all, I don't know what's going on with shepherds where they're more concerned with the feelings of the wolf than they are the sheep. I don't want to use the rod against the wolf because it may offend the wolf. It's a wolf. Can you imagine a wolf coming to attack the sheep? And then the, 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 the shepherd pulling out the rod and smacking them right between the eyes. And then the wolf coming back two days later. I'd like to have a meeting because when you hit me the other day, it was really offensive to me. It really hurt my feelings when you hit me with that rod the other day. I'm so sorry, wolf. I'm so sorry. It's a wolf. Sheep and wolf aren't the same thing. And I'm going to tell you, the Bible says in Psalms 91, his rod and his staff. A shepherd carries both a rod and a staff. The staff is for the sheep. Guess what the rod's for? The rod was like a little wooden bat about that big. It was for the wolf. And I'm going to tell you something. You don't treat a wolf the same way that you treat a sheep. That is so offensive that you said that. Well, you, you listen. Get it in your spirit. People aren't the same. You don't deal with devils like you deal with, with a sheep. Well, I don't agree. Well, you keep not agreeing, and let's let this nation keep going to hell like it is, and maybe God will raise up somebody with a backbone and some boldness that are unashamed to speak for the Lord. So it says, the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. Well, I'll go ahead and tell you, I'm not going to get into this, but there's characteristics of a wolf. What does a wolf do? One of the things, it scatters the flock. It scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's, look at this, the hired hand runs away because he's only working for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. Man, that's like, that sounds like something a man should have wrote and said there that's so applicable to this time. That is verbatim what the scripture says. If you ran away and you didn't stand, it's because you're only in it for a paycheck. You're not in it because you have any conviction or call from the Lord whatsoever. So you got sheep, you got wolves. Look at Matthew 7, 15. Here's the third category of people. Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. So this is wolves in sheep's clothing. You got a sheep, you got a wolf, and then there's this third category. It says a person that will try to imitate or pretend to be a sheep, but they're not really a sheep at all. They're a wolf. Also, the Bible calls the same category tares, T-A-R-E-S. I'm going to read you a passage here. I'm just setting something up, Matthew 13, 24 through 30. Say tares. 
Another parable he put before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed into the field. But while the man slept, the enemy came and sowed tares. Who are tares? Say people. Jesus said, Beware of men among the wheat and went on his way. When the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Did you not sow good seed into your, your field? How then is there tares? And he said to them, The enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us to go and gather them up? He said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather the tares to bind them into bundles and burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Uh, so a tare... I wish I had a picture, and I guess I should have put one up for you, but a tear, it looks strikingly similar to wheat. If you looked at a tear and a wheat side by side, it's very similar, except it's very, only slightly different. But the thing about a tear is it wasn't a wheat at all. In fact, it was poisonous. So what the enemy would do is we would sow tares into the, the, their opponent's field, and then they would go harvest it with the wheat because it looked like wheat. It may even smelt like wheat. But when they consumed it, it was poisonous, and it would make you sick, and it would make you weak. Hallelujah. So this is this wolves and sheep's clothing. So here's the revelation. Say tares. Say people. Here's the revelation. There, that means that there will be people that come into your life that look like harvest, but they're not harvest at all. When you get a heart for God, let's tie these thoughts together. When you get a heart for God and the gospel penetrates your heart, you're going to go out into the harvest for looking for people to bless, looking for people to disciple, looking for people to pull up out of a pit of poverty, and you're going to go into the wheat field looking for harvest, but you need to understand not everything that is in the wheat field is harvest. In the wheat field, there's also tares, and the tares are poisonous. Say poisonous. This is why he said you must be as wise as a serpent, but as harmless as a dove. So as wise as a serpent, again, the meaning of that is serpents don't purposely expose themselves to attack. People who come into your life and into this church, say into this church, that look like harvest but are actually poisonous. Not everything in the wheat field is wheat. Some look like the harvest, but it's poisonous. This is the wolves in sheep's clothing. You also need to understand this. It's talking about a wolf in sheep's clothing, not shepherd's clothing. So what does that mean? Is Jesus also prophesied that there would be people the devil tried to sow into a church, that they come into the place of a sheep. Right? They don't come trying to grab a pulpit. They come to get in the lives of people, to get in the fellowship, to get into the congregation. But they're actually a wolf. And what does a wolf do? Scatter the flock. And it's signed to still say still, say kill, and destroy the child of God. So you have to be able to identify this. So, here's what I want to preach about this morning. What does this situation look like practically? This is where I want to help you set up biblical standards in your life. How do you safeguard yourself from this? Because, listen, 
As you pursue the, the, the gospel in your life, again, there will be people that have nothing. What should your response be to them? Give. Be generous. There will be people that are broken. What should your response be to them? Love. Say love. Say give. They're broken. They need love. They have nothing. They need substance. They need generosity. They need you to give yourself. So what does this look like practically when, when something's not wheat, but it's actually a tear? When something's not a sheep, it's actually a wolf? It's whenever you begin to pour your life into a person, but that person's intentions are not pure. That person doesn't have a heart for God. They're not really hungry. They're not really thirsty. And you begin to pour. You begin to give like you should because you should give. You should love. You should pour yourself out. But at some point, this, this line is broken where the person is not genuine. They're not hungry. They're not thirsty. They're in it for a selfish reason. And now you've spent time with this person, and you've intertwined your life with them. Right? You've intertwined your life. You've opened up your home. You've opened up your phone. You've opened up parts of your heart, and your life is intertwined, but it's been made very clear now that this person is not a wheat. They're not harvest. They're actually a tear, and they're poisonous. And I'm going to tell you something. This is why we need biblical standards, because if the devil has it his way, he'll take advantage of your good heart. The devil will begin to speak to you and say that we are called to put up with any, everything, right? Look at that. Look, tares look identical to wheat. There's wheat on the left, tares on the right. They look almost identical. One is for harvest, one's poisonous. So, if the devil has it his way, he'll take advantage of your heart and your display for the gospel, and he'll use people, say people, to come into your life, and what will they do? They'll drain you, they'll milk you, They'll burn you, and then the enemy will actually use them to steal from you, to kill, and to destroy you. And then he'll lie to you and make you think that you just have to put up with that, and then that's just part of it, and that's what a Christian's call is to just get walked all over, and, you know, that's part of it. And, and, and then it, the second that you begin to resist that, the devil begins to lie to you like you're not a good person, you're not obeying the mandate of the Scripture, and he will literally take advantage of your heart for the gospel to still kill and destroy you. Come on, somebody say amen. The reason the Lord's having me preach this is because many of you are getting on fire and you will encounter some tears in your life. And as the gospel's being preached and we have soul winners, go ahead and raise your hand. If you, if you came in from the soul winning to this church, raise your hand. We got some visitors in the back. We got one right here. Every week we have people coming in. And over time, as people come in, again, let me just say this. Not every person will be wheat. Some people will be tares. Are you with me? Hallelujah. And I'm not talking about my friends that are visiting this morning. I'm saying this, is, this isn't directed towards like any person. This is a broad thing you need to get in your spirit. So here's the question then. What should we do? If, if, and many people have done this. I know, I'm telling you, I've learned this the hard way, where I'm like, Lord, oh my goodness, I've gotten burned, I've gotten burned, I've gotten burned, 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 burned. And the devil also will try to use that to make you build a hard heart. Where then you say, then what should I do to not do this? What should I do then? I guess I should just stop loving. No, you shouldn't. 
I guess I should just stop giving. No, you shouldn't. But what you do need to have is set biblical standards where you have these things set, and when a person breaks this biblical standard, you are able to identify what they are and the motive of their heart, and then after they overstep that line, you withdraw from fellowship from that person. Are you all with me? I'll also tell you this too. The devil will try to convince you that it's your Christian duty to tolerate everything. Say, that's a lie. The devil will try to convince you that it's your Christian duty to tolerate everything. You just put up with anything and you put up with everything. That's not true. Just quickly look at Revelation chapter 2 2. I'm going to read just a few verses rapid fire to you. Revelation 2, verse 2. Jesus told the church, I know all the things that you do. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those that say they are apostles, but you have discovered that they are liars. Jesus commended them for not tolerating evil people. Listen to me. As a Christian, you are not to tolerate evil people. As a Christian, you're not to tolerate wolves. Look at Revelation 2.6. Skip on down. It says this. But you have this in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans just as I do. Wow, Jesus again commended them. Right? That lie, the devil says you're supposed to just tolerate anything. A person crosses these biblical standards, and you're supposed to just keep giving, keep sowing, keep pouring in. Absolutely not. We are not called to tolerate evil people. We are, and he said you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. I'm not going to get into that, but come on Wednesday, and you'll hear all about this. Look at verse 14 through 16. He says, I have these few complaints against you. You tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam. Wow, so now Jesus is rebuking them for tolerance. Wow, is that what Jesus expects from the church today is tolerance? Say no. He rebuked them. He said, you tolerate those whose teaching is like Balaam, who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols, by committing sexual sin. In a similar way, you have some Nicolaitans among you who follow the same teaching. The devil will lie to you and tell you it's your Christian duty to tolerate everything. Say it's not. And then when a pastor starts talking like this, what do you got? A group of people. Oh, my gosh, that's not my Jesus. You're right. It ain't your Jesus because most people's Jesus ain't Jesus at all. That's a fact. My Jesus would have been at that LGBTQ plus rally marching with a flag because he stands with the people that are approached. No, I'm going to tell you, you're deceived. Jesus would not have done that. Jesus didn't tolerate. In fact, Jesus is the one saying these things to the seven letters, uh, seven churches. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. So I asked the Lord about this. I said, Lord, We've had situations, people get saved, people come in, and our people have such a heart to give, have such a heart to love, have such a heart to give everything of themselves to bless these these people. And this isn't a church for people that have it all figured out. This is a church where we should welcome the lost and the unsaved by the hordes. But what do we do, Lord? How can we stop this issue where people stop getting burnt and people stop getting broken and people stop getting abused by the devil? And immediately the Holy Ghost spoke to me and he said, uphold a biblical standard. 
You need to get this in, in your spirit. This morning with your relationships, uphold a biblical standard. Amen. I'm going to give you a few things here this morning. Are you all still with me? This is upholding biblical standards, when to pull back and when to give yourself to a person. Let me tell you something. There is a time to give yourself to a person. Say amen. There is a time to pull back. Say amen. You need to learn when it's time to give, when it's time to pull back. Did you know that there's actually a time to end fellowship with people? I told you all this was a different kind of service. I know you come in here sometimes, and we're laying hands on, and, and it's just the move of the Holy Ghost. That's great and wonderful. The Lord said, this is what I want to do this morning. You need to get this. There is a time clearly depicted in the Scripture where you must end fellowship with another person. And I'm going to give you five different circumstances in which that's to take place. Number one, write this down. When to pull back from fellowship. When, if you uphold a biblical standard, how do you begin to separate the wheat from the tares? What's poisonous, what's sent into your life? A wolf, a wolf in sheep's clothing that's come to still kill and destroy you, to drain you, to use you, to abuse you, to milk you. How do you keep yourself from being burned? Hold these biblical standards up in your life. Number one, when to pull back from a person if they start creating divisions. If they start creating divisions, look at Romans 16, 17 through 18. Paul said, and now I make one more, I make my appeal. Now I make one more appeal, my dear brothers and sisters. Watch out for people who cause divisions and upset people's faith by teaching things contrary to what you've been taught. Look what he said here. Stay away from them. What should you do? Stay away from them. Guys, I'm telling you, we've got to stop being offended by the, by the we've got to stop being worried about offending people with the gospel. Jesus was not worried about offending people. Can you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and see Jesus being worried that he was offensive? No. You know what? He, what, he understood this reality. I am the way, the truth, and the life. If it offends you, then so be it. Let your stinking butt be offended because it's the truth. Come on, someone. We think that the truth, we think that we need to compromise the truth to try to win people, make friends, and influence people, and that the truth is going to repel people, but Jesus said you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Right? Everything in you, the devil will try to tell you, don't say that, don't do that, don't stand on that line, because if you do, they're just going to get hurt, they're just going to get offended, they're just going to think that you're being judgmental and that you don't love them. No, he said they'll know the truth, the truth is the only thing that sets a person free. And I'm going to tell you, here's another thing, some people need to be offended. I can tell you in my life, there was times that I needed to be offended. There was times that that word came in and it was sharper than a two-edged sword and it started dividing, it started cutting, and I didn't like the cutting, but then because I loved the Lord, I had to go to the Lord and go to the word and, and ultimately see that I'm offended because of this flesh. And Lord, I've got to lay this down, it's got to die. Whenever I killed and crucified that flesh and crucified that pride, guess what? The spirit of the Lord came and I went to another level in the Lord. Y'all with me this morning? 
So what do you do from people that start causing divisions? It says stay away from them. Say period. No if, no ands, no buts. You begin to pour into a person's life and they begin to start causing division, what do you do? Hold up a biblical standard and, and walk away. I'm done. I'm done. I'm not saying that you're going to hell. It's not my place to judge that. But you know what? This is where you're at, and I'm holding up a biblical standard. I will, know, I will go no further in this situation. Stay away from them. What is division? Say division. This is what that word means. It's the act of separating something into parts. Man, I need to get moving this morning. Or the process of being separated. Say separation. If a person starts bringing separation in the body of Christ, you are to have nothing more to do with them, according to the Bible. You start getting little secret phone calls about somebody that wants to call Sally Sally May and say, you know, I just don't like this and this and this that's going on at the church. Guess what? That's division. That's division. Say division. You got somebody start coming out and start trying to pin you against your leadership, pinning you against authority, pin you against your brother and your sister. That's division. What should you do? Have nothing more to do with them. Stay away. Say stay away. Let's start having little secret meetings and so that we can, that is a wolf. That's the spirit of a wolf. And I'm going to tell you something. Pastor, I don't like the way that you handle that. Well, clearly you don't understand the difference between a wolf and a sheep because the Lord gave a shepherd a staff for the sheep and a rod for the wolf. You don't want to get smacked in the head, then don't be causing divisions. Because guess what? If you start causing divisions, you're a wolf. If you're a wolf, you're going to get smacked by the rod. Hallelujah. Are y'all with me? Well, I don't like that. Well, that's the Bible. Sorry. In fact, this isn't some light thing. Look at Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. These are six things the Lord hates. People don't even have this vocabulary. All they know is the God of love. Love, 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 love. God is love, and it's true. God loves. He is extremely gracious. He is extremely merciful. But here is a reality where the fear of the Lord comes in. There are things the Lord hates. That pen. <laughs> there are things that the Lord hates. Say hates. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, love what is good and hate what is evil. Christians get an A plus in loving what is good. Actually, not really. Most of the time, Christians hate what is good. They hate the anointing. They hate the move of the Holy Ghost. They just want dead, quick McDonald's religion. They get you in. They get you out. You come once every six or seven weeks and get your little gold star, and you're good before the Lord. That ain't loving what's good. But the Bible says, love what is good, hate what is evil. You're not only called as a Christian to love what is good. You are also called to hate what is evil. You're also called to identify what God hates, and you must hate what God hates. That's what David said. I love what the Lord loves. I hate what God hates. Say hate. Yes, there's seven things that are an abomination to him. These are seven things the Lord hates. It says a proud look, pride. God hates pride. God hates a lying tongue. God hates hands that shed innocent blood. 
That's why I'm telling you right now to turn a blind eye, to act as if God's not interested. We're not going to talk about abortion. We're not going to talk about any of that, that we just don't want to get political. Are you serious? You don't love what God loves and hate what God's hate. To, to murder 65 million innocent lives, babies in the womb, Guess what? God doesn't just dislike it. He hates the hands that shed innocent blood. Hates it. He hates it. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that are swift to running to evil. A false witness that speaks lies. And look at this. He hates one. Wow, what? One? One means a person. That's, he hates one who sows discord among the brethren. So does God like division? Say no, he hates it. It's an abomination to the Lord. A healthy way to disagree. Look, look at Acts 15, 36 through 41. You say, Brother John, what do I do? I just don't agree. Well, let me show you real simple here. After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how, many new, how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark, but Paul strongly disagreed. Since John Mark had deserted them and Pamphylia, Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Look at this, verse 39. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas, and he left. The believers uh, entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. Then he traveled through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches that are there. What did they do when they disagreed? They separated. Say they separated. Guys, again, it, I understand. Even let's just put it in the context of this church. Everyone's not going to like the way that I stand. Everybody's not going to like the way that I preach. Everyone may not agree with me. And ultimately, if you can kill that and just still come underneath authority and come underneath, uh, you know, biblical delegation, wonderful. But if you say, I absolutely can't, just say separate. Just leave then. Amen. Hallelujah. I disagree. So instead of becoming a wolf who's going to go around and get other people involved and try to get this person on my side and that person on my side, you not only want to be right, you want to be validated by everyone else. That is a wolf. And when you do that, you automatically put yourself on the wrong side of things. Hallelujah. So again, what do you need to do? Say you start pouring into a person's life and then they start causing divisions. Stay away from them. Hallelujah. Number two, when to pull back from fellowship. Y'all still with me this morning? We're going to start moving through some of these. Number two, when should you pull back from fellowship with a person as you're giving, as you're loving, when you're in the harvest field, and how can you tell if a person's a wheat and a person's a tear? Number two, if they continue in sin without the desire to repent when confronted with the truth. Again, y'all, I'm telling you, I'm not saying you don't help people. There are people that are brand new believers that are struggling with sin, but they're struggling with sin because they don't know. It's one thing to sin because you don't know, and it's another thing to sin because you're rejecting the word of God. Those are two different things. 
There may be some people that you drink and you say, well, I just never knew. I never knew what the Word of God said. I never knew that the Bible said that, that wine doesn't belong to kings and that to don't even gaze at the cup as it sparkles and that wine is strong drink is for those that are perishing so that they can forget their sickness and they can forget their poverty. I didn't understand that that wasn't, that wasn't for me who is a priest before the Lord. That's okay. But then people that reject the truth of God's word, that's a, wholly, a, a totally different situation. Are you all with me? Look at 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 13. When I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people indulging in sexual sin, but I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or greedy people or cheat people or worship idols. You'd have to leave this world to avoid people like that. I meant you are not to associate with anyone. Look at that. That's a biblical standard. You are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer yet indulges in sexual sin. Say sexual sin. You know, this is interesting. What is sexual sin? Adultery. Forn that's having sex with somebody that's not your wife or your husband. Fornicating is having sex outside of marriage. Homosexuality, having sex with a person of the same sex. This is all sexual sin. In fact, it's actually the word pornos in the, did you know that? In the Greek, that word sexual sin is the word pornos. That's where we get the word porn from. You are not to associate with anyone that claims to be a believer yet indulges in porn. Wow. Y'all still with me? Look how low the standard's been brought. Say greedy. If you look at that Greek word, it actually means the worship of mammon. What is mammon? Jesus said that a servant can't serve two masters. You'll love one, you'll hate the other. You cannot serve God and be a slave to mammon. What is mammon? It's a demon of money. I'm sorry, and worship idols that are abusive. Drunkards, say drunkards. You know what the word drunkard here in the Greek is? It's the word methos, M-E-T-H-O-S. You know where we get the, the, uh, a substance that comes from that word? Meth, say meth. Methos is the Greek word for the word drunkard. But again, you start talking about drinking, especially in 2022, and everybody's just, they're going to go run to YouTube and find some dude in his mom's closet that just tries to pacify and justify everything with the word of God. The word drunkard is the word methos. Let's see if anybody's a hypocrite because there's a lot of people that if, if a Christian were to say, man, you know what, we were just barbecuing Sunday afternoon and I just had a couple of beers, you'd say that's no problem whatsoever. But what if a Christian came to you and said, man, we were barbecuing Sunday and I just took a couple hits of meth. Nothing much, not a whole lot, just a couple little hits of meth. You would be sitting there saying, what in the heck? Bro, that ain't right. It's the same word. It, drunkard is methos in the Greek. It's where we get the word meth, methamphetamine. Are y'all with me? So what does it say? You're not to associate with anyone. Say anyone. Well, oh, Brother John, what if it's my best friend I grew up with? What if it's my own sister? What if it's my own brother? That's why Jesus said, you think that I came to bring peace, but I actually came to bring a sword, dividing even households against each other. There will be in a house two that are for me and one against, and one that are for me and two against. That fathers will turn against their sons and mothers will turn against their daughters. How is that scripture even possible to be fulfilled only if the church holds up a biblical standard? 
Is it out of self-righteousness and judgment? Absolutely not, but it's in the truth of not watering down the gospel. Listen to me. We cannot water down the gospel. It says this, you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer. Listen, it's not talking about unbelievers. If you're not a believer, you can do whatever the heck you want. I'm going to tell you, you'll go to hell if you're not a believer because there's only one, one way to go to heaven. That's through Jesus Christ. You're not going to go to heaven because you're a good person. You're not going to go to heaven because you tried to be good and you, you, never, you, know, you never killed anyone and, and that's good. And so now you get your ticket to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if you're not a believer, you're not held to the standard, but you must become a believer or you will spend eternity in hell. But if you are a believer, listen to me, your life gets put into a different category. There are expectations for you. In fact, according to the Bible, there are standards that you must meet as a Christian. Did you know in the book of Revelation, Jesus spoke to churches and said, I have examined you, I see the things that you do, and I have found that you do not meet the requirements of my God. He said, your actions don't meet the requirements of my God. You can't be a Christian and continue in sexual sin or be greedy or worship idols or be abusive or be a drunkard. The Bible says don't even eat with such people. Why would you not eat with them? Because you're holding up a biblical standard. He says it isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. What? Say it is. My responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. Say, it is the church's responsibility to judge me when I'm sinning. Hallelujah. Don't start with all this poop. Nice word to say it. We're in church. Come on. The Bible says don't judge. Really? Is that the only scripture anybody knows in 2022? Because we just read where Paul said it is your job to judge. And you will know a tree by its fruit. And it's not to condemn. It's not because you're more holy than thou and self-righteous. It's because there is a standard of the gospel. And it's this. You need to understand. We can't water it down. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Paul said, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourself. Those who indulge in sexual sin or worship idols, commit adultery, or male prostitutes, practice homosexuality, or are thieves, or greedy people, or drunkards, abusive, cheap people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Why do you hold a biblical standard? Because you don't want your brother that you love, your sister that you love, to die in sin and to live eternity apart from God. Not just in darkness, not in a bad place. It says literally in a lake of fire of pure agony and suffering for eternity. So many times we don't want to say anything. We don't want to hold up a, a biblical standard because we don't want to offend. But yet our keeping people comfortable is going to literally lead them where the light that they think that they have is actually darkness. And they'll stand before Jesus and be rejected before the Lord. Let's stop. Well, you know, I got saved, and, I, and I'm married to a woman. What should I do? Divorce. Cut it off. Really? That seems pretty harsh. Yes, because the Scripture clearly says 
you cannot be homo- practice homosexuality and enter into the kingdom of heaven. Are you with me? What should I do, Brother John? I just robbed a bunch of banks, and now I feel bad, and I want to get right with the Lord. You need to go confess. What if I spend 10 years in jail? It would be better to spend 10 years in jail than to go to hell for eternity. Make things right before the Lord, and God will make things right with you. Are you all with me? you all getting this this morning? Is this just too practical? Oh, John, I don't like this. Man, I'm telling you, there's cotton candy you could have ate everywhere north and south of here. There's a hundred other churches. And here's the ultimate reality. So Paul says, don't even eat with such people. Have nothing to do with them. You're not to associate with them. It's not out of a place of self-righteousness. Here's the ultimate reality. You need to learn. Until a person's ready, there's nothing you can do. We want the best for people, and I'm going to tell you, as a pastor, I've seen it. I want more for people most of the time than they want for themselves. You want someone to succeed so bad, and you just go through the ringer, giving of yourself, giving of your time, giving of your heart, as you should to people, but they're not interested in the things of God. They're not interested in surrendering everything to follow the Lord Jesus Christ despite all of your efforts. And I'm telling you that the devil will use you and milk you and run you dry trying to accommodate that person, but what you actually need to do is you need to turn that person loose lose and let let their life be what it is and pray for them that their soul may be saved because you need to understand this sin is not supposed to produce desirable results in a person's life i can tell you as as parents i can already imagine we get our kids grow up they start rebelling and you have a father's heart a mother's heart all you want for your children is to help them to bless them to love them but i'm going to be honest sometimes we do that and we keep them comfortable and we we are actually hindering the process of God in their life by keeping a person comfortable. Because what should happen is this. Think about the prodigal son. Are y'all still with me this morning? While the child was in the father's house, they had plenty to eat. While the child was in the father's house, they were blessed. While the child was in the father's house, they were clothed with the finest clothes. But when the child said, I want to go pursue wild living in the city, guess what? The father didn't follow after, did they? No, you were, they were allowed to be turned over. Go live how you want to live. Do what you want to do. And guess what? That lifestyle produced poverty. That lifestyle did not produce success. But what it ultimately did was drive that child, that man, to the point where he humbled himself and said, even in my father's house I had food to eat. I'll go and repent and make things right. Maybe he'll accept me as a servant. Guys, I'm telling you, even as parents, you've got to hold up a biblical standard, even with children. Are y'all with me? A biblical standard. If you want to go live in sin, I'm going to tell you I love you and preach the gospel to them, but you need to let sin have its work in their life. Because we're trying to feed things and keep people comfortable and keep pouring into them, and, and hopefully they'll just see the light all the while. They're just the devil's using that person, whether they know it or not, to milk you, to milk you, to milk you, to run you dry. Are y'all with me? Hallelujah. Until a person gets hungry and thirsty, there's nothing you can do. You've got to get hungry. You've got to get desperate. You've got to get thirsty. Until then, all we can do is tell you the truth and pray for you. Hallelujah. 
Let's keep moving on. Y'all still with me? Look at number three. We just got a couple more here. Number three, when to pull back from fellowship. If they live idle lives, when should I pull back from fellowship? And let me just kind of tie this last point together. So, again, hypothetical, you're pouring into someone's life. You're giving of yourself. You're giving of your time. You're giving of your money. But then it's very clear. They're like, no, I, I don't want... I don't want the church thing. I don't want the Jesus thing. I'm not interested in that. I would actually like to continue in the situation that I'm living in. You need to just let it go then. Let it go. Pray for them. Love them. Bless as the Holy Ghost tells you, but your obligation to continue pouring into that, that's not a harvest right now. That's a tear. And until their heart gets ready, they will not become wheat for the harvest. They'll continue to be poisonous, and if you consume it, the enemy will use it to kill, steal, and destroy you. Say biblical standards. Don't even associate, don't even eat with people that want to claim that. Because it'd be better for them to be grieved to the point of repentance than be kept comfortable to the point of eternity in hell. Number three, when to pull back if a person lives an idle life. This is 2 Thessalonians 3, 7 through 15. For you know that you ought to imitate us. We were not idle when we were with you. We, were, we never accepted food from anyone without paying for it. Listen, Paul's saying we weren't moochers. We didn't run around trying to mooch off everybody, just trying to hope, you know, hand an empty hand, hoping that somebody sees our struggle and, and, you know, helps us out and blesses us. He said, no, we worked hard day and night so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Say hard work. He said, though, because he was a preacher and teacher of the gospel, he said, we certainly had a right to ask you to feed us, but we wanted to give you an example to follow. Even while we were with you, we gave you this command. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. Can you imagine that? Paul didn't play that game with the devil. Again, the devil tries to make you think that you're supposed to just comply and give in to anybody. Man, I'm struggling so bad. Hallelujah. Well, we bless those people. But ultimately, there needs to be a conversation that's had that, hey, brother, maybe you're struggling because you refuse to work. And, well, you don't understand, Brother John, I ain't got nothing to eat. Well, maybe if you starve a little bit, you'll get some ambition to go to work. Hallelujah. Man, that doesn't seem like the love of God, really. Well, it's in the Bible. That's what Paul said. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. Say work. Yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work. And meddling in other people's business, we command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and work to earn their own living. You want to be revolutionary in 2022, young people? Listen to me. Get married, go to work, work hard, serve the Lord, and let the Lord prosper you. Have children, raise them up to serve God. Train them up in the way that they shall go. When they're older, they won't depart from it. And I'll tell you, you'll give the devil a bad day. Creating kids that don't comply with this ridiculousness that's going on in the world. As for the rest of you, dear brothers and sisters, never get tired of doing good. Verse 14, take note of those that refuse to obey what we say in this letter. Stay away from them so that they will be ashamed. What did he say? Stay away from them. Well, we just don't want them to feel like we're judging them. Really, Paul said stay away from them so that they will be ashamed. Again, we just do everything to try to keep people comfortable when uh, sometimes a person needs to feel conviction. 
They need to feel like this is not approved. Sometimes people need to be told what you're doing is not approved of by God, period. There's no way to sugarcoat it. There's no way to put, wrap it in caramel and put it on a stick like a lollipop and put it in your mouth to make you feel better about it. What you're doing is not acceptable to the Lord, and you need to get things right. Are y'all with me? So this is very practical. If they live idle lives, if they refuse to work, you may seem like, John, that seems like a super practical point. Well, I'm telling you, we've had issues with that in this church. We've had issues where I've had entire families leave because I went and had a conversation with the man who was in at work, who was always struggling, you know, and it's like, hey, we're going to this this retreat, we're going to this meeting, we're doing this stuff. I can't come because I need gas money. Well, maybe you don't have gas money because you're 30 years old and you refuse to go to work and serve the Lord. And instead of going to work, you're sitting at home playing video games and sending your wife out to work a part-time job. Man, that's not right. You know, I'm going to tell you, the man's role in the scripture is to provide for their household and for their family. I'm not telling you that women can't have a career and can't work, but the Bible clearly teaches that a woman's role is to take care of her own household and her children. Fathers need to be fathers. Mothers need to be mothers. Men need to be men. If you're sorry but sitting at home while your wife's at work, you better expect that none of your prayers are going to get answered by the Lord because you're out of order. So I went and said, you need to go to work. And it was rejected. Oh, John, you're so mean. You're so, and they just left the church. Go to work. Get a job. Hallelujah. Again, what do you do when someone's coming into your life and you're in the harvest field and you're trying to sow the gospel and you want to give and you want to love? The devil will take advantage of you. I'm not telling you not to bless people, but when you start having a conversation where you bless and you bless and you bless and now it's a month and they're still just standing there just wanting a blessing, just wanting a handout, but they're refusing to put their feet on the ground and go to work and allow God to prosper them, but tell you, you're unwilling to work, so you shouldn't get to eat. And then if you don't like that and you're just expecting a blessing, what do you do? The Bible says stay away from them. Stay away from them so that they'll be ashamed. Y'all with me? Hallelujah. Look at a quality, you know, and I'm going to talk about this. There's actually qualifications. You think, and I'm going to tell y'all, we give like nobody's business at this church. We bless people left and stinking right, and it's such a blessing to be able to do that. But There is a problem when people start expecting something. If you think that it's anybody's job and anybody, whether they're a Christian or not, and and people have this mindset, I'm going to come off the street and you should pay my bills because you're a Christian. And if you don't, I'm going to make you feel bad for not doing it. Man, you're a liar from the devil. God does not expect that. That is that is wrong. And I'm not talking about not blessing people, not not loving people. But sometimes there needs to be a confrontation. Why are you struggling so much? Well, maybe because you're on your seventh marriage and you've cheated on six of them. And so therefore you live in a situation where, man, I'm just trying to do this on my own. Why do you think you're doing it on your own? That needs to get dealt with. You need to repent and humble yourself before the Lord. Are you with me? Man, my children ain't got any food. Really? Because you spent it all on beer and drugs? And I'm not talking about showing 
mercy and grace to people, but what I'm talking about is holding a biblical standard. When you see a pattern, you have to draw the line, or you will be milked for everything that you have. Are you all with me? Here's qualifications in the Bible. Look at 1 Timothy 5, 9 through 16. Paul said for a person to receive continual support, they had to meet these qualifications. A widow, say a widow. I'm going to just say this too, and y'all, y'all listen to me. I love you. Do you know I love you? A widow is not somebody that is divorced. A widow is somebody who was stayed faithful and then their spouse died. A, a woman whose husband died, okay, is put on the list for support. Must be a woman who is at least 60 years old. Wow. Do you know in the New Testament church, if you were 58, you couldn't be put on the, the, the list for support? Why? Because he had this reality. Wow, you're still able to do something. Amen. And had, she, she had to be at least 60 years old and was faithful to her husband. Y'all think I'm being harsh? Can you imagine going up being a widow that, a single woman or something in this day and age that came to the church for support and Paul looking at you and say, you were unfaithful to your husband? So no, that's not loving. Why don't you repent and make things right? She must be well respected by everyone because of the good that she has done. She, has she brought up her children well? Has she been kind to strangers and served other believers humbly? Has she helped those who are in trouble? Has she always been ready to do good? The younger widow should not be on the list because their physical desires will overpower their devotion to Christ and they will want to remarry. Then they would be guilty of breaking their previous pledge. And if they are on the list, they will learn to be lazy. Wow, say lazy. God doesn't like lazy. Say, church is not to tolerate lazy. We don't give because you're too lazy to do anything to get blessed by the Lord. There's nothing wrong with helping a person out and blessing them, but if you are struggling because you're lazy, you're going to struggle to the day that you die. If they're on the list, they'll learn to be lazy and will spend their time gossiping from house to house, meddling in other people's businesses and talking about things that they shouldn't. Listen to this. So I advise these younger widows to remarry again, have children, and take care of their own homes. Where do you get this idea? Man, that just seems like it's sexist that you're saying stuff like that. Really? Get married, have kids, and take care of your own homes is what Paul told the women. Are you with me? Don't shout me down. This is the Bible. Hallelujah. Get married. Say, get married. There's a blessing for being married. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, some of you women, like if, if something, God forbid, whatever happened, you don't have to stay single. Get married and let a man of God bless you and spoil you rotten. Come on, somebody. Then the enemy will not be able to say anything against you, for I was afraid that some of you have already gone astray and now follow Satan. If a woman who is a believer has relatives who are, who are widows, she must take care of them and not put the responsibility on the church. Then the church can take care of the widows who are truly alone. I'm going to also tell you this as well. Guys, children, it's our responsibility to take care of parents. 
You understand that? The Bible actually said in a biblical order of things, if a person was absolutely left out, beat down, broke down, couldn't pay their rent, they're an elderly person, the biblical standard is to actually go to the children first and tell them that according to this word, you have an obligation to take care of your parents. Come on, somebody. You have a, exactly, yeah. I mean, there is a standard for sin, but I'm talking about in a godly situation. Godly children should take care of godly parents. Are you with me? So, refuse to work. Say, refuse to work. If you start identifying that trait with someone, man, they just want to get blessed. They don't want to work. They don't want to go to work. They don't want to do that. Then it says stay away from them. Cut it off. Say biblical standards. All right, let's, let's finish up with these real quick here. Number four, when to pull back from fellowship if they refuse to obey the Scripture. Very simply, look back up at First, Second, uh, Second Thessalonians 3, 14. Take note of those who refuse to obey what we say in this letter. Stay away from them so that they will be ashamed. Say, stay away. Again, Paul wrote this letter, and he would tell the pastor of the church, stand up and read it out loud. And then he told the Christians in the letter, I want you guys to listen to what's being read, but I also want you to look around and see who's in the room. You guys want to do that? Look around. Go ahead and take a look. Let's be biblical for a minute. See who's in the room? So the Bible says that you take a look and see who heard the word, and then you watch and see what that person does with the word. And if a person hears this word and is confronted with the truth and then wants to walk away and have a lethargic attitude towards the word of God, you are not to uh, agree with that person. You aren't to baby that person. In fact, it says that you are to end fellowship with that person. Have nothing to do with them. Come on, somebody. You cannot have a lethargic attitude when it comes to the Bible. Oh, I know the Bible says that, but eh, oh well. Amen. And again, this will follow under the same point. You can't help somebody until they want to get helped, until they humble themselves under the mighty hand of God. If they'll do that, it says the Lord will lift them up. If you draw near to the Lord, the Lord will draw near to you. The Bible says I was once young and now I'm old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging for bread. But I tell you, any person that comes to the end of themselves and lays their life down to follow Jesus and his word, the Lord will lift you up. The Lord will take care of you. The Lord will bless you. Number five, and we're going to end with this today. When to end fellowship with a person, number five, if they start spreading false doctrines. Titus 3, 10 through 11. It says, if people are causing division, say division, among you, give a first and second warning, and then after that, have nothing more to do with them. So this is interesting because in the NLT it uses the word division, but if you look at this in the King James, look at the same verse. A man who is a heretic, say a heretic, after the first and second admonition, reject, knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth being condemned of himself. So say heretic. So one translation says division, one translation says heretic. So basically, what does this mean? Put them together. This is a person who's causing division through heresy. What is heresy? What is a heretic? A heretic is this. 
A heretic is a professed believer, a person who claims to be a believer, yet maintains religious opinions contrary to that which is accepted and prescribed by the church. So a person that wants to go around deviating from the word of God, preaching false stuff, false... Guys, I'm going to tell you again, I get it when people, they've been in all different realms and walks of life, they believe different things, they've heard different things their whole life. There's nothing wrong with not knowing, there's nothing wrong with growing, but if a person wants to come into a church and openly just stay there to oppose the ministry of that, of that church, to oppose the word that's being preached, that is heretical, especially if it's with false doctrine. Are you with me? And I've heard great men and women of God say this, that they've seen people come back from every kind of sin. They've seen people embezzle money, and then the Lord could restore them. They've seen people cheat on their spouses, and then the Lord restore them. But they said that it is almost impossible to come back from bad doctrine. Bad doctrine is the devil's best friend. Can you say amen? Heretic. I'm just going to give you this one for free here. This isn't a point, but it's under the same thing. You need to watch. If I hear a person stand up after 30 years of ministry and say something like, I want you to take every book that I've written for the last 30 years on this subject and throw it in the trash, there's a problem with me. There's a problem that I have with that. You can't be a person that's just blown and tossed by the wind, by every new wave of theology. You need, to, you need to be careful who you sit underneath. You know, I know God's raising up people. I know I'm a young person. God's raising up young people. But I'm going to tell you, the ministries that I've set myself under, the people that I truly listen to, are people that I can look at over a lifetime. Kenneth E. Hagan never got caught up in embezzlement, did he? I don't like that doctrine. I don't like the way that he preaches. Really, he had one wife. His children served the Lord. He was never caught up in embezzlement, never mishandled money. A man of God, a proven man of God, tested by time. Be, be careful listening to the, the newest dude that's got the biggest muscles and the skinny jeans and the ripped jeans, and, and then they're blasted all over the, the Internet and blasted all over TV, and you build your life. Why don't, you know, that's good. I know God can use voices, but it's also important to see people over the test of time. Say faithfulness. Hallelujah. Careful who you listen to. You start popping out, oh, I got a new revelation from the Lord. After 30 years, I've been in the full gospel ministry, and I've never been confronted with the gospel of grace. You've sat under Kenneth Copeland's ministry for 30 years and never been confronted with the gospel of grace? That's just ridiculous. Ridiculous. And, and I'm not judging a person, but I am going to say the Bible warned about those that would be blown and tossed by every new wave of doctrine. Hallelujah. Y'all with me? Praise the Lord. I told y'all this was going to be a different service this morning, but did you receive something from the Lord? Praise God. Hopefully this helped you, gave you some permission to not let the devil just totally steal from you any longer.
Lord, bless them for being hearers of the word in Jesus' name. If you would like to sow a seed or partner with this work that the Lord is doing, check out the description of this podcast or go to www.rhctx.com forward slash give. You can find all the ways to give on that page. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. Until next time, this is John Wallace.